So last week we began this series called Irresistible, looking at the life of the very first church community. If you remember, 120 or so people were followers of Jesus at his resurrection. And then about three centuries later, there were way more than 120 people uh, who were followers of Jesus. And we want to see what was it that took the church from such a small place to such a big place. We think there are ingredients in the scriptures which speak of the life of that church, which we want to pray God would weave into us here at St. Peter's. So these 120 or so people, they met Jesus, they fell in love with him, they thought he was amazing, and they were willing to put everything else down, literally leave everything else behind them to follow this man. They saw him die, then they celebrated his resurrection, and then they followed his command to wait for a gift that he was going to send. So they waited in this upper room, and then about 40 days later, the Holy Spirit came on them, filled them individually, filled the room that they were in, and filled them as a group. And immediately, the Spirit propelled them outwards. The Spirit enabled them to speak other languages so that they could communicate with people who they had no other means of communication with. It wasn't like they could get Geolingo out of their pocket or whatever. The Holy Spirit gave them the ability to speak these languages so that the whole world might hear about Jesus. And then the people of Jerusalem, where they were, saw these people. And it says that it was almost like they were drunk because they were so full of this amazing spirit. They were so full of the presence of God that it looked like they were drunk on alcohol, but they weren't. They were just full of the Holy Spirit. Peter stands up and basically explains that to the crowds and says, it's not that we're drunk on wine. We've met Jesus. The one that you'd killed is our Lord, and he's filled us now with his spirit, and he invites you to come and follow him. 3,000 or so people decided to follow Jesus that day and were added to that 120 to become this first church community. And then, like I said last time, we get this little summary of their life together, which comes at the end of Acts chapter 2. These things were brought about by the Spirit. Their communal life were inspired by the teaching of Jesus and the filling of the Spirit. And each week, for the next little while, we're going to look at a different part of them. And like I said, as we do it, we're not just looking for intellectual interest. We're saying, God, would you weave that into St. Peter's? Would you weave that into this 1130 congregation? We would love to be like this first church because they saw their numbers grow despite persecution, despite loads of opposition, they grew to the point where loads of people throughout the known world knew and loved and followed Jesus. And we, similarly today, would love that God would do this work in us, that we would go, that the 95, 96, 97% of Berry who don't yet know Jesus might come to meet him and love him for themselves. So today we're going to look at the very first line of this passage, which I'll read again for us as a reminder. If you've got a Bible on your phone or a paper one, you might want to read along. Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 42, I'll read the whole passage and then explain the bit we're going to focus in on today. Acts 2, 42 says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. 
selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Today we're going to focus in on that very first line. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The first thing that this summary notes about the life of the church, kind of giving its main characteristics, was about teaching. The first ingredient that it gives us about how this church was so irresistible to the world around it was that they were devoted to the teachings of the apostles. The apostles were the first 12 followers of Jesus. In the, in the gospel accounts, they're kind of called the disciples. That's Peter and James and John and Bartholomew and others that we see depicted at the very front of our church. The apostles were kind of like the first leaders of the church. So when there was 120 and then there were 3,120, the apostles were kind of at the forefront because they'd spent most time with Jesus. They'd seen him closer than anybody else. They'd spent about three years listening to him, seeing what he did, seeing how he interacted with other people. And so they were kind of best placed to teach everybody else. If we're going to follow Jesus today, well, here's what he said to us a couple of years ago. And here's how I think that would apply to this new situation that we face. These apostles were given authority. Apostle really means sent one. It's about being a pioneer. It's about doing a new thing. And these 12 were given the authority from Jesus to go and be his witnesses, to go into new cities and start churches, to go to new places and speak to people about Jesus. The apostles' teaching then is everything that we read about through Acts. It's a bit like the summary of Peter's message that we get on the day of Pentecost. It's not their teaching, it's not their ingenuity, it's not their good ideas. It's them saying, well, here's what Jesus said to us. Here's what he taught the crowds, and we're passing that on to you. To be clear, it's not about the apostles coming up with great stuff. It's just them passing Jesus on to those who didn't get to meet him face to face for themselves. And like last week, this is all done in the power of the Holy Spirit. Pentecost happens and then they're propelled outwards. The Holy Spirit comes and then Peter is able to give this message which 3,000 people respond to in one day. All of this is only possible if God's Spirit makes it possible. We don't come to teach ourselves. We don't come to preach our own messages. We come and say, Holy Spirit, would you speak through me? Which is why it was so good to be prayed for uh, at the beginning of doing that today. And just to be clear, if we want to be an irresistible church community, if we want to have the kind of impact that we see this first church community having, then we're going to need the Holy Spirit to bring alive the pages of Scripture in our hearts and to send us to do the very same things. We want to be devoted to the apostles' teaching just as much as that first church community was. And through the rest of our time together this morning, I'm going to unpack a little bit about what I think that means. First thing I want to focus on is that word devoted. And if I were to put a question to you, I guess it would be, who's in charge? When you come to scripture, when you come to Jesus, who's in charge? 
On Monday last week, uh, in our Bible reading that we've been encouraging people to go through, reading the New Testament together in a year, we came to Matthew chapter 8. And in Matthew chapter 8, we hear about this centurion who comes to Jesus. And he says this. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. This centurion knew what it was to be in authority over somebody, to be able to say, go and they go, come and they come, do this, and they do exactly that. And when this centurion saw Jesus, he knew that the only right response was to come under his authority, to say, I know what it's like to be over, but you are over me. You are Lord over all. You can do things that no one else can do. He knew that the only fitting response to having met Jesus was to say, I'm under your authority, just say the word and my servant will be healed. This centurion deliberately put himself under Jesus' authority and then Jesus, in response to that, is amazed by this display of faith. I don't know about you, but I would love to amaze Jesus with faith that I've got. But so often we're told, aren't we, that we're the master of our own fate. We're in charge. We call the shots. We're in authority over ourselves. Society all around us is telling us to shun anyone that would try and tell us what to do, to rebel against authority and to be our own masters. I long that that wouldn't be the case here at this church that we would be those who willingly place ourselves under the authority of Jesus, who don't try and wrestle the steering wheel back from him when he's already got it and he's the only one that should really be guiding our lives. I long that we would be those who say, of course, Jesus, you take the wheel, you have the reins, you're in charge now and forever. I hope that he would be amazed by our willingness to do whatever he says, to go wherever he goes, to be whatever he calls us to be. I long for us to be a church that amazes Jesus. Those that wake up and say, God, what do you want me to do today? Who have you got for me to speak to today? What is it that I could contribute to your cause today? How could I serve you? And to know that anything that we do in response to that call will be worth it. Jesus is Lord over all. He's the creator over everything seen and unseen. Jesus is God. He's king. There's no one higher. There's no name more supreme than his. And he loves us. He created us. He knows us. The great thing about Jesus is that he is the Lord, but he doesn't lord it over us. He doesn't come and just punish us for its own sake. He doesn't come and make things harder than they need to be or send us down a blind alley. He's not out to punish us, to ruin our fun. He's out to bring us life in all its fullness. So in making Jesus Lord, we don't come to a God who lords it over us. 
but we come to a God who wants to do everything he possibly can for our benefit. Surrender to Jesus. Be under his authority. Amaze him with your obedience. And as you do, I know that you will step into life in all its fullness. Really practically, how do you approach coming to the Bible? How do you approach hearing a message at church or or reading scripture yourself? I think some people, in effect, come over scripture. They think it's interesting, but they put it somewhere down here and, and they're Lord over it. What it's got to say, it might be interesting, but to be honest, I'll take what I want from it. I'll pick and choose what seems right to me. I'll apply it if it sounds okay, but really, it's just informing me. It's not guiding me. It's interesting. It's not something that I really submit to. Other people, I believe, come to Scripture almost like it's over them. This is the word of the Lord. This has things to say that will lead me to life. This is about Jesus, the one whom I worship. They come under it. They say, if it says something is right, then it is right, and I need to conform. If this says that there's a way to live, this is the right way to live. Don't come to Scripture and stand over it, analyzing it yourself, and essentially thinking that you might know better. Come under the authority of Scripture. The words that Jesus taught, that the apostles passed on, that have been recorded here to help us know more about Jesus. Come under it. And know that as you do, you come under the authority of Jesus. You can amaze him with your faith. And that everything you do will be for your benefit and for his glory. The first thing then, being devoted. Who's in charge? Secondly, I want to say that teaching is to live, not just to hear. Sometimes we've had this idea that to be taught is just to take things into our heads, to get little bits of information or knowledge, bits of insight, facts that we might recount at some point. As if we're cramming for an exam, we're just taking in more and more information. Being devoted to the apostles' teaching was not just about expanding their heads, It was about enlarging their hearts. Being devoted to the teaching of the apostles was to know Jesus better, to experience more of his love for them and to be able then to be more effective in his service. The point of teaching isn't to know about Jesus. The point of teaching is to know Jesus, to have a relationship with him which is informed by everything that you read, But it's as if you're looking at him face to face, walking hand in hand with him through life. It's often said that we don't preach for information, but we preach for transformation. My aim really isn't that you know lots more facts about Jesus in a year's time. My aim really is that you're transformed into Jesus' likeness. That as you read about him, you become more like him. As you read of what he did with people, you think, well, that could be me too. And you get swept up in this journey with him. Knowing things about Jesus is really important and really helpful. But knowing Jesus is what really makes the difference. Jesus said to some people in Matthew 25, who come to him and say, well, we did all this in your name and we we followed you in this way. He says, I never knew you. They knew all the facts, but they didn't know the one that the facts were about. Come to be taught. Come to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. 
but know that being devoted to the apostles' teaching is being devoted to the one they teach about, and that's Jesus. Don't just take these things into your heads, but work them out into your lives. It's true, isn't it, that we know what we really believe by what we do. It's all very well saying that you trust someone, but it's only really seen once you have to trust them, once you have to take them at their word or, or do something that you've got no other basis for. The same is true, really, with Jesus. It's all very well saying that we love him, but what we know to be true is that we'll only love him once we do something in response to that. Don't just come to scripture, don't just come to teaching to enlarge your head, but enlarge your heart. Come into relationship with him, go on in relationship with him, put what you believe to the test, show it to be true with your actions. And that's exactly what the first Christians did. The book that I mentioned last week, Alan Crider, recounting the patient ferment of the early church, he calls it, this improbable rise of the church through time. He says that there was a, a time when um, the watching world were talking about this new church and kind of making an assessment of it. And he writes it like this. He says, they did not say, listen to the Christian's message. The people watching did not say, read what the Christians write. Hearing and reading were important. And some early Christians worked to communicate in these ways too. But we mu must not miss the reality. The people said, look. Christianity's truth was visible. It was embodied and enacted by its members. It was made tangible. This church community was irresistible because it did what it said. Yes, it spoke great messages, it wrote great works, it made great art, which all communicated about Jesus. But the most powerful thing was that they did it. When it says that they look after orphans and widows, well, they set about doing it in a way that no one else did. When it says to love God above everything, they did that in a way that no one else did. And a watching world said, look at that group. There's something about them which we want for ourselves. I was so pleased that last Sunday afternoon, after launching this new service, seven people from this church spent most of the afternoon clearing out and cleaning up someone's house who's really struggling at the moment. Getting alongside them and their loved ones, explaining what it is to live a life of faith, praying for them, but making a difference practically. We went from singing worship songs in the morning to living worship lives in the afternoon. And I was so thrilled and I hope that that's the way that we go on. I always want us to be those who someone else could look upon what we do and say, what is it about them? There's something that they do, there's something that they live that I love. And I don't see it everywhere. I don't see it amongst many other groups. Who is it that's inspiring that? And then in response, we can say, well... It's the Lord Jesus Christ who we love. I'm so proud that we worshipped in that way last week. And I know that it made a massive difference to that person this week. That they heard a message, but they also saw a message. They were able to hear something about Jesus, but also see it through really simple acts of kindness. Let's be those who don't just let the information fill our heads, but change our lives. 
The message of Jesus will always do that when we let it. Third thing then to say is that this is a joy and not a burden. I don't know what your response is to hearing the word teaching, but sometimes it can feel like another thing I've got to get my head around, another document to read, another thing to take in. It can feel like being in school and preparing for an exam. The teaching that comes from Jesus and about Jesus is a joy and not a burden. This isn't another thing to place onto your to-do list, another burden to bear, another hard thing to have to do. Primarily, this is about coming into a relationship with a God who loves you, with a message that will change your life and change your world. Anything that Jesus asks us to do is for our benefit. And as we place him as authority over us, we come to see that he's not just placing requirements for their own sake. He's placing things in front of us because he knows that as we conform to his way, we're stepping more and more into life in his name. Anything he asks of us is for our good. And anything he asks us to take on comes with the promise of his Holy Spirit to make it possible. As we think about teaching, about being devoted to this teaching, remember that it's never to restrict us, but it's to restrict the presence of evil over and within us. It's not to constrict us and box us in and inhibit our life and cut us down. The Psalms talk about the Saviour leading us into a wide open space. It's for our freedom. It's for our good. And anything that we are asked to do by Jesus is a joy and not a burden. Don't approach this like a test to be crammed for, like a heavy thing that you've got to memorize. Approach this as, Jesus has got something amazing for me today. Jesus has got a new thing for me to take on, a new life for me to live. And I can't wait to see what he's got and to conform my life to it, because I know that as I do, he's going to be there. His spirit is going to fill me, and I'm going to be more and more in his image. As I end, I just want to remind you of those first few words in that verse. When it says, they devoted themselves. Ultimately, the decision for this comes down to you. The apostles didn't require it of the people. They didn't say, well, you've got to do this and this and this if you want to be part of this church community. The people devoted themselves to the teaching. And the decision comes before each of us here today. Do we want to be devoted to this? Do we want to conform our life to this, to place Jesus as highest authority and to come under him? Or do we want to go about life a different way, our way, someone else's way? The choice really comes down to you. And of course, my urge is to devote yourself to Jesus, devote yourself to his teaching, devote yourself to his way of life, because it will be for your benefit. But ultimately, the decision rests with you and you alone. I urge you to devote yourself to Jesus' teaching by spending time in his word, reading it, reading lots of it, if a little bit isn't enough, by coming on a Sunday ready to learn, ready to listen, ready to take in, to go home and weigh it and consider it and see what difference it might make for you by coming with a notepad, coming with a Bible, coming with whatever it takes for you to take this in. Because these words aren't just to fill a bit of time on a Sunday. They're words to lead us to life with Jesus. 
And the world is sending you so many messages all the time. Your friends, your family, advertisers, those that you see on TV or out and about, everyone is trying to tell you that here's the way to live. You need this to buy this product. You should treat me like that. Everyone is sending you messages. And Jesus is saying, come and follow me. Put my message above all others. Put me as Lord over all and everything else will start to make sense. You'll be able to decipher the good from the bad. You're being bombarded with so many messages all the time that you need time with Jesus to see straight again. Not to be buffeted around by the way the world thinks or what your boss wants you to do. But to say, this is the way of Jesus. This is the way of life. To commit yourself to it again. So spend time with Jesus in his word every day. Read it. Consider it. Ask questions of your friends about it. Come on a Sunday ready to be taught, to listen, to place yourself under the authority of Jesus. And ultimately use those things to conform your life to his Because being devoted to the apostles' teaching will make this church community irresistible to the world around. And it will be a massive blessing to your life as you do it.